Hello there. My name is Stefan Frost, the host of Game Devastation, the podcast you are listening to right now. Just as a heads up, sometimes there are opinions on this show. Sometimes there are curse words on this show. Sometimes I just sob for about 20 minutes. I don't know why people keep listening to it. Anyway, all these things are from me. They're not really representative of the company I work for or previous companies that I've worked for. So just a heads up, then that's about it. Okay, legal disclaimer now over. Hello and welcome to another episode of Game Devastation. My name is Stefan Frost. Today I am joined with the developers on the game Crawl. Uh, we have Barney and Dave. Uh, Barney is the pixel artist on the game or just artist. I don't know. How do you, what preferred title do you have <laughs> for that? Is it just, what, what would uh, you? Uh, I, I, I guess I think of myself as an animator, but uh, I'm Boom. doing I'm doing pixel art for, for this, but you know, I do non-pixel art sometimes as well. <laughs> okay, so all-around dude who does art stuff. That's my official <laughs> title for you. Um, mm-hmm. And then, Dave, you do the programming work on this as well. Yeah. How many people are working on Crawl right now? It's just the two of us, mainly. We've got a guy um, doing, Alex Yoda, doing music for us. But apart from that, it's just us. And, um, yeah, and we're getting, we've got a, another friend who we're going to get to, we're getting to do a bit of code work for, like, porting and stuff. But, yeah, it's pretty much been the two of us the whole time. So I have to say that's super impressive that it's just been two of you working on uh, a pretty lauded game if you're looking at the Steam reviews and stuff like that. Um, How did you guys get together and where did you meet and how did you get into games? Uh, We we worked together at a at a at a local games company uh, that um, ended up uh, going out of business like quite a quite a few years ago. Um, but we, we ended up kind of sort of working way, our way up at that company and kind of teaming up to do a lot of prototyping together where, uh, you know, it's sort of often at companies, it's hard to get the art and design and code to sort of work together. And so you'll get a designer who, you know, gives a document and then it's misinterpreted by the artist or it's not, not misinterpreted. It's just, you know. Uh, it's a lot more communication work. Yeah, exactly. They, they don't realize, you know, how much communication is needed to sort of get things across. Anyway, the, the point was that, that me and Dave ended up uh, working at this company where he was doing code and I was doing uh, a lot of animation and stuff. And we kind of uh, built up a relationship around, you know, trying to communicate to get to get this stuff to actually work the way it was supposed to. And so, uh, yeah, we, we did a lot of stuff at that company together. And then the company went down and we both went and worked at mobile companies. And then uh, the, both the mobile companies we were working at got bought by EA and we got moved together in the same office. And then we uh, got sick of working on mobile stuff. And so, uh, yeah, quit. And that was like three years ago or something. So when you came together, you started talking about stuff. Were you thinking as you were working there like, hey, but we should just go off and kind of do our own thing. Isn't that kind of nuts? Because... EA is a, it's a big company, right? Like they have job security there for you. What made you think like, you know what? I'm just going to go out and do my own thing. Forget this stability stuff. I'm doing indie games. <laughs> I guess it felt like the stability thing was, yeah, it was, it's definitely really tempting. And, but it also felt like if we don't uh, take that chance now, it's going to get harder to take that chance later when we've got like mortgages and kids and stuff. So we were, yeah, we were kind of both thinking, 
if we don't, yeah, we'll, we don't really want to stay here forever. We'd like to do our own thing and we should probably do it sooner rather than later. And that's kind of, yeah, a friend of ours was kind of saying, oh, well, you're not going to be here forever, are you? And that kind of both made us both think, uh, yeah, I guess not. Maybe I should quit now. <laughs> yeah. And then we, yeah, we kind of decided roughly around, yeah, about the same time that we were going to quit and then um, try and do our own thing and then it sort of made sense to, to try and do something together. And we, yeah, we had a bit of savings and we were both living with pretty cheap rent, like um, mooching off people basically. <laughs> uh, so we just thought, I right, will just blow a year's worth of um, whatever it takes cost for us to live and then see if we can make something and see how we go. And if nothing happens, then we'll just, you know, go crawling back to EA or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think we, we, yeah, it was, we got to a time in our life where, you know, we had always both just assumed one day in the future we'd make our own things, but we kind of got to a time where we thought, actually, if we don't try it now, we probably never will. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So where did Crawl come from? We did like a little uh, kind of a game jam, but more just a bunch of friends, some some well, people we'd worked with and some people at EA and stuff, uh, where we kind of decided, oh, we'll set a date in a you know, month or so where we'll like get together and, and play a bunch of games that we've all made. And so everyone has to like make some little multiplayer games or something and we'll bring them along and play them and get drunk. Yeah, but the point of it was to just make local multiplayer stuff that would just be like fun and silly to play and you know we wouldn't stress much about like the design or anything we would just we'd just make a bunch of silly stuff and have like a bit of a party and some drinks and just play them all and tweak them and laugh and stuff um i guess that was kind of to try and just have like a bit of a holiday from like stressful design but also do some like fun creative kind of gamey stuff uh but yeah crawl crawl came out of that crawl was one of the kind of ideas uh from one of those things and you know, it was a lot of fun on the night. So we, when we decided we wanted to quit, we kind of thought that that was probably the, the the best thing to start with was to finish off crawl. Uh, we kind of thought it'd be like just a couple of months to polish it up, uh, <laughs> and that's like two years ago or <laughs> longer, three years ago. I don't know. <laughs> right now, but yeah, it's still a couple of months to polish up. <laughs> so, um, when it started out. How close was it to what the game that people can play now is? I mean, essentially, like, at the core, it was it was the same thing. It was just um, a hero goes around and then other people just, like, appearing as monsters and the hero kills the monsters and there was just a randomly generated dungeon that kind of went forever. Um, and so that that was the same, but... There was no know. objective to the game. Yeah. So we just, like, we played it a lot because we all kind of spent time at, on the day, like drawing little monsters, and Barney kind of put them in. Though the art obviously wasn't that good because you know we're all people, all the non-artists were drawing little monsters. And but stuff. that was that was the fun of the game jam, just like yeah. getting everybody to just do some stuff. But um, yeah, the game didn't really have an end, so we just we played it for ages. But it was just basically just taking turns being the hero and not um, and kind of griefing each other, which yeah. just made it instantly pretty fun. Right, uh, and so there was no kind of upgrading and things like that. Yeah, so it was um, just yeah, it was like but the, the monsters the, yeah. and the hero and the random dungeon, and you kill the hero to swap places. But then that was it. There was no game format, no upgrading, no no anything. It was just kind of every room is a random experience. That's I that's cool. I, I think what's what's so fun about that is like this this came from the idea of we're just going to make something fun 
right now when when did the the art style and like the thematics start to come in after that uh so i think that initial prototype was just like just pretty much like throw away you know silly throw away pixel art um and so it wasn't until we i think we decided to quit maybe that that i started doing like some serious kind of mock-ups of like trying to make it look like a proper a proper game um and yeah i I think i think every everything else was just kind of you know natural like it wasn't really so much of a calculated like oh this would be this would be like the the ultimate thing to you know to sell or to meet an audience or to to be appealing it was just well this is my taste like i like i like lovecraft stuff and and i like you know killing monsters in dungeons but i i don't i don't really like it being like all sort of high fantasy and you know like i think i like the idea of it being more kind of dark and and lovecrafty and so yeah i think it's just like a bunch of kind of both of our personal taste things like coming together you know i think if i had been into lovecraft stuff and dave had had hated that then maybe we'd gone in different direction but i think Mm. we, we both were kind of liked that idea and that kind of cheesy over theatrical like spookiness and mm. um early on i think we early on we had a we were talking about um getting kind of background narrative that wouldn't necessarily be represented in the game but that we could kind of have as a kind of theme to be thinking about and that was of having this kind of having it be uh, like um an old arcade cabinet that's like we found in some abandoned I don't know, under a pier or something and it's like haunted or it's got some dark crystals in it or something. And it's kind of, um, all glitching out from some, you know, it's got a portal to some other world. And, uh, that's where we got, I guess like that helped us refine the aesthetic a, a bit and like same, like influence the music and, yeah. um, the design of like the menu design, especially, I think. Yeah. Like, like I don't ever want to explicitly say it in the game, but kind of definitely in my head, like the, the game is being played on like some cursed arcade machine that's kind of actually like you know instead of just just playing a game it's kind of uh like connecting with creatures in some weird netherworld and actually controlling them around um and i kind of like i kind of like the idea of like implying like bits and pieces of that where possible but never sort of coming out and like you know having like a scrolling text saying this is what this game is this is the story this is you know and to just kind of have it become like be mysterious but but be evident kind of where it where it's natural for it to be evident it Um, makes it easier to kind of have have things be coherent in terms of the yeah when you're adding stuff and coming up with ideas for visuals and um sound and stuff i think that helps but that's that's well, I was going to say, it's funny that you guys had said, you know, that you're Lovecraft fans. I have a question on here. I've, I wrote down a bunch of questions to ask you guys. And yeah. One of them was, this game is metal as hell. Are you guys metalheads or <laughs> really just into Lovecraft and D&D? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I've sort of been into metal like a bit, but I've never been really, really hardcore, like hardcore metal guy. Um, but I've always really liked that aesthetic. Um, and yeah, so I think it, it comes a lot more from the lovecraft direction uh and you know in in games you get so overexposed to to fantasy stuff um that uh, i guess like 
it's hard to not the Lord of the Rings style kind of. Yeah, you get so overexposed to that really mm. specific way of doing it, and uh, that it's like it's just kind of natural to want to do it a bit differently <laughs> to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but there there are there's definitely like slain and uh, is it slain? Yeah, yeah, uh, and a few other games that that are around that are you know. Yeah, like fully, fully metal. Yeah, yeah. It's so we interviewed the programmer on Slain, or we, I, I interviewed the the programmer on Slain, uh, and I actually worked with him a couple of years ago. He, oh, cool. Yeah, he worked at he worked, where was it? He worked at Rockstar, and then he left to do his own thing, very similar to what you guys did, and yeah. kind of just paired up and started doing his own thing too. Yeah, like that. That's why. I mean, I, I think that's. Uh, you know, a good equivalent of us in that, you know, he probably didn't have like a really, or, or the, the slain team didn't have like a really calculated decision. It was just like, that's their taste. They love this metal stuff and they, you know, are really excited to get a chance to do something that's that instead of kind of being constrained by, you know, like having to do a shooter that that's appealing to these people and mm. all of this stuff. And so, yeah, after right. living at the company, I think that's, a natural kind of thing to want to do. It's yeah. Like, what's something that we just think is cool? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that, that I really love about the game is the animation styles is very smooth, slick, and it has that uh, sort of look and aesthetic of the pixel art, but it has like kind of modern animation style. Um, something I, I wanted to ask you was what advice do you have for people that are looking to animate in pixel art and, and specifically in games? Because I think animating for, you know, a cartoon show or something like that is going to be completely different from, from yeah. games. So yeah, w- what advice do you have for somebody that's getting into animating games? Mm. Um, use as few frames as you can. I think like that's, you know, I, I so I came from doing 3d animation um, and, and it's been, it's been tempting, I think, when I started to just like make movements happen with with more in between frames. Um, and al- although I'm I'm doing like a lot more frames than you would get from old eight bit games, uh, I'm not doing like laborious interpolation of of movements to make them smooth. I'm kind of using the the frames a bit differently, um, and so that I mean. It's hard to give general advice because because my animation is just really specific and like pretty like really cartoony, um, I guess like really exaggerated. And I can give advice for that, which is to just like pretty much like never never put frames on your passing position in between your keyframes, and to just always like you know flick straight past that and so to like just going between interesting poses. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, right. like if you're doing a punch doing it like you do in a comic book where you sort of have a frame with the arm back and then a frame with the arm forwards after the punch is done and to not spend time like adding lots of frames in between those positions to make the uh to make the fist move out smoothly just add like a couple of cushioning frames around the drawn back position and a couple of cushioning frames around the arm forwards position that'll give a feeling of smoothness but the actual snap from position to position will still be really really quick and so it really feels really punchy and really really kind of cartoony and exaggerated and over the top right yeah there so there's a lot of um i think i saw something on some gdc vault thing with the animator lead for Skullgirls, the fighting game uh, yeah. and so they were talking about that a lot where or she was saying that effectively you had those those snappy exaggerated poses too in between those things. So yeah. 
if it if the wind up right is the the fist is going back it's it's almost like the back is really contorted and twisted and probably yeah. not natural uh, in yeah. sort of a realistic manner um but then that punch is there is no in between it's just that punch pose of what's the striking point that yeah, exactly. has the arm extended and then what you were saying before the recovery animation of okay i'm i'm rec- recovering from this punch and then it's back to idle um, yeah Street Fighter has that a lot too. Like if you even on the 3D stuff, they I I think they don't interpolate a lot in between those things. Like they have yeah. that bam bam, you know, very quick, very fast stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, we actually like go ahead. The, Sorry. The point of the the object actually touching the person, like before the person has been kind of knocked back by it, like being knocked into movement by it, like that point has has zero impact. So you just want to fast forward from the really cool I'm about to hit you pose to the you've already been hit and look how much impact has been kind of passed into you and and forget all that in-between stuff. And so it, it makes it easier because, I mean, for pixel art because you don't have to draw so many frames, um, but but it drawing those frames wouldn't gain you anything. Uh, the you impact know? comes from sound and the flash in the yeah. sort of... Yeah, so I guess all the, all the impact stuff we do is... The actual impact is like we flash the character, we kind of do a scale bounce on the character and then have a big knockback on both the character and the person that, yeah, on the enemy and the on the hero that hit the, the enemy or whatever. And that kind of gives this big impact even though there's no actual frame where you see a contact, I guess. Yeah. That's something they used to do in, in like Westerns back in the day is just edit out the, that frame from punches and stuff um, and they'd put that really cheesy, really loud, explosion-y kind of fist punch sound uh, yeah. So, but but I think that that carries through more than just more than just contact. Like just in run animations and things like that, I generally will, you know, have kind of a couple of poses w- with the legs, and and instead of like smoothly uh, doing you know a whole lot of frames in between them, I'll just do a little bit of cushioning around those extreme poses. So you sort of get to see the character like posed into those shapes really clearly with a little bit of frame cushioning around it, but the actual movement where the legs just like swing, uh, that's, you know, I haven't laboriously gone and actually drawn the leg on a whole lot of angles. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Um, so something I wanted to talk with you guys about as well is boss design versus enemy design. Um, so, uh, you guys have bosses in the game and then you also have the, the player controlled enemies, but then you, there's also just regular AI enemies, correct? If you're like, well, because if you're playing single player, you can have those things, right? So, yeah. So, if can you guys talk about when you're thinking about these designs, how do you go about designing just the regular little guy enemies, or you know, whatever enemies, and then bosses themselves? I guess the main the main thing that's different is that we've got to try and make it fun to be both the the hero and the monster kind of thing. So, uh, it makes it hard because you've got all, all the tricks you you do to make a monster really fun to fight against, uh, you know, are things like having long wind ups and making him easy to dodge, or making it seem like he's about to hit you and then he can dodge out of the way. But then any any timing things like that tend to feel a bit horrible <laughs> when you actually have to play as them. And so that's been a kind of a bit of a, a like a thing we've had a lot of back and forth with in terms of how much do we kind of lead an attack animation and. Uh, and how do we, yeah, how do we balance that so it feels good for both people and it still feels like, oh, yeah, this is a hero beating up monsters. Yeah. Um, and same with the bosses. Like, to try and, that, that it was a pretty <laughs> pretty tricky, like, in terms of design for us to try and 
get something which felt like it was a boss fight, but wasn't just, I don't know, like a lot of the things from boss fights are like tele- really telegraphed attacks. So you've got the boss moves to the left and then does this one and then moves to the right and then does this one and it's always the same and you kind of learn that yeah. and that's how you beat the boss. So I, I kind of had to feel like that a bit, but not actually be that because it's obviously controlled by all the other players. I think that the boss, the boss is a pretty good example of like the thing that you expect when you come into like this game because it looks like an RPG and a boss in these RPGs has this kind of specific, you know, specific way of playing that like they actually just do like a really simple pattern uh, like Dave was saying of like moving Mm. to here, do this attack, move there, do this attack. And the player just learns, Oh, when he's doing this attack, I need to try and dodge like this. And, and that, that's what's satisfying. And so it's really hard to, for the hero, give them an experience that still feels like that, like that thing that they're expecting it to be. But for the uh, players controlling the boss, you can't tell them just like, oh, we'll do these pattern attacks that that are that are really predictable. Right, you know, easy so, to read. I- exactly. So yeah, it's kind of most of the time we've kind of it's not been something we've worked out the first time, and we've had to iterate to to kind of get something that works on both sides. Mm. Um, but our, our main our main goal with the bosses has been, I mean, because the thing that's that's interesting about it is um, all three of you are are cooperatively controlling. The, the sort of di- different parts of the boss to to one goal. Uh, our, our main goal has been to say if we just gave each three of those parts uh, a projectile that could damage the hero, then you you miss out on the feeling that you're working together and cooperating. And so the uh, like Kurok was very specifically our first boss was very specifically designed so that um, like the primary damage dealing attack uh, had a long wind up and was quite difficult to hit with. Um, And then you had a secondary damage attack that was much more for zoning to try and sort of trap him down into an area where, where the primary attack could, could damage him more easily. And then a third attack that does no damage that just traps him on the spot and makes him move very, very slowly. And so it's like the bubble attack on its own, uh, the trap, you know, is is useless because it doesn't do any damage. The the main beam attack on its own is practically useless because it's so, got so much anticipate time. And the and the sort of zoning ground damage attack is is pretty ineffective on its own as well. And so we we tried to sort of force that to be how it worked, mm. so that you do get that feeling of teaming up, so that one person will be in one body part, kind of yelling at their friend, you know, do this, do the bubble like this, so I can hit him. And so mm. yeah, that that's been our primary thing with the. With the boss, with the bosses, and that's also a big way that that the regular enemies sort of differentiate. Um, that you know, it's just every man for himself with with the regular monsters. Um, and so when it gets to the boss, it you know, it's 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 fun, and, and it's also like a rare opportunity to to get that teaming up thing. So we sort of want to make the most of it. Gotcha. So uh, the reason that I even came to know of your game was I saw a Gabe Newell boss <laughs> that you guys made. Uh, there was some the you'd made like a little pixel art GIF or something like that, and I think I saw it on Twitter, and I was yeah. like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" So <laughs> I started researching more into the game, and I was like, "Okay, this seems pretty cool." Um, and and I think it was like Gabe Newell and Akuma abilities kind of mixed, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. <laughs> uh, so where the hell did that idea come from? And do you, do you know if Gabe Newell has seen this? Uh, 
Yeah. So I think so. That was that was one of the first things I ever drew when I was like when I started drawing, um, like just designing monsters for the game. I just got this really long image file and just started at the left and just started drawing monsters over to the right. And I kind of started out with like you know, like pretty typical fantasy guys and Lovecrafty creatures and stuff. And then as I got further towards the right, I sort of, you know, started running out of ideas for like that sort of stuff. And so I just started like, just for fun, just for a joke, like drawing a bunch of other different stuff. And one of the things I drew was like this giant Gabe Newell who was like, you know, 10 times bigger than any of the other monsters. Uh, and ever since I drew it, I just thought, oh, I really want to put this in there. Um, and it's it's like... I don't know. It's it's a in part as a way of just like celebrating not working for anyone, like working for ourselves, and like like no you know no place that I've ever been would let me put in something like that. Right. Uh, but but also it's like like this is what I would have done. Like before I had a had a job in the games industry, I used to just make you know stupid animations to make my friends laugh, uh, and I just you know come up with something that I thought would be funny and I put it in and I'd show them and they'd laugh. And, and I like, I like the idea that we can still do that, but with our like proper commercial game and, you know, just like make people laugh and put in silly things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just really, really wanted to put it in. Um, and was, yeah, I, I guess, I guess I should have like thought that, you know, with the internet being like very kind of, meme <laughs> focused <laughs> and and gave being like you know such a like big figure in that thing that that it would have been shared around a lot but yeah at the time it was just like oh this is a really funny thing and you know i want to i want to be allowed to put in a bit of wacky stuff um and i just really wanted to animate him i just like like it's it's i guess it's the same thing as the you know the lovecraft and the sort of arcade stuff being mashed up it's, it wasn't really a calculated thing it's just that was our taste and it was the same thing here. I just, I like street fighter and, and like Gabe is such a, um, godlike figure to, to an indie developer because, you know, like your whole success being able to pay your bills depends on, you know, steam and the, the, the store, sorry, a PC indie developer anyway, depends right. on, you know, so it's like if he, if he like features your game on the front page <laughs> of his store for like a week, you probably never have to work again, you know, like, (laughs) so it's just, he's got this like godlike status. If he can just create you or destroy you (laughs) by not letting you on his thing. Uh, But at the same time, he's just this like sort of, you know, just like humble, chubby, nerdy looking guy. And that, that contrast, um, that contrast is really fun. It's really fun, like playing with that sort of stuff. And I think when I, when I first drew him, I thought, Oh yeah, this is pretty funny. Maybe I'll put him in. But then, uh, like I started realizing that there's really like these two distinct kind of images like of Gabe. There's like the young kind of clean shaven Gabe. And then there's the like modern beard kind of graying hair Gabe. And it just occurred to me that he could do like a, a Dragon Ball Z super Saiyan transformation where he uh, like grows the beard and changes from one state to the other. And yeah, as soon as I thought of that, I thought, ah, oh, I've got to do this sometime. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, the same thing. He, I sort of, he did some. Um, he does a dragon punch, and he's he does in his transform effect. He's sort of got Akuma style like energy effects coming off him, and all of that is just 
I wanted to draw a dragon punch because I like Street Fighter <laughs> and I wanted to draw that effect because I thought it was just one of the coolest things that that Akuma kind of energy red thing. Uh, yeah, so it's just like, you know, a mashup of different junk that I that I really like. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so something else that I wanted to talk about as well, which is a big part of your game, is the traps. Um, and specifically, I wanted to talk about the balance on those things um, mm-hmm. and the control on them and all that fun stuff. So when you started out, uh, I'm sure it was very similar. You're coming up with a bunch of different ideas. How do you guys kind of tune things on those? So you say like, okay, these do less damage or the the range on this attack is not as big or how does that work for you guys? Um, hmm. oh, I mean, a lot of it is just our personal playtesting. We don't have uh, early access has been good because if something's really unbalanced, people will let us know. But mm-hmm. partly because... Um, once we get it to a rough range of what's appropriate, if something's slightly too too much damage or slightly too little, it doesn't matter too much because it just because everything's randomized. No one can really take advantage of it. You don't know what you're going to get in a room. Um, I think that's actually been a pretty a pretty lucky sort of like safety net for us since the start. It is that um, the the circumstances that come together because of the random generation are. If if it builds an unbalanced room, well, that's ju- it's just for that room. Uh, and I mean, well, what's been difficult for us is that 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 real imbalance is a lot of is in a lot of cases what's actually really fun. Like like if you play Binding of Isaac or something, and you're just like, oh, I had this amazing run and I got this thing, and suddenly I'm really overpowered. Like that that's really cool. And when you do get a room where you suddenly have like a, a balanced kind of mismatch. It can be really fun for a bit, but because it's a multiplayer game, you know... It can you, also be frustrating for one side. Exactly. It's happening too much. You, yeah. you, so you don't <laughs> want to give someone a, an easily repeatable overpowered thing, but you do want to give people randomly occurring overpowered circumstances as long as they don't last for a long time. And that's been a really tough thing trying to sort of, you know, yeah, balance between those two things. And that there's a lot of things that could be really, really fun to put in the game, but but because, uh, and, you know, really satisfying as random things that come up, but but we've just felt like they're going to be too frustrating, you know, for the other people and it's going to be too unfair, even though, you know, it's... um Yeah, fun idea. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, but with a lot of that stuff, we, we just start out with, well, let's just think up, you know, as much variety of uh, kind of mechanical play difference like mechanical difference that that would make you play with it in a different way uh, let's come up with as much variety as we can and so we'll just like you know on a on an excel sheet be like right well there's one that would cause you to dodge in this way there's one that would cause you to be defensive in this way there's one that would uh you know cause you to have to avoid a zone there's one that would you know this and that and just come up with all the different sort of mechanical things that we can we want then we see how many of those we can do with the minimum amount of unique code. So it might be like, okay, we we have to add like, you know, one little bit of unique code to make these special zones. And that would allow us to make three of those four different ones. But the fourth one would need a whole lot of unique code Mm. just, just for it. So let's scrap that one. And so it's kind of, let's try and be as efficient as we can with, with, with unique code. Um, to get as much different kind of play out of them. And then once they're in there, yeah, we, we, we really just guess some figures to start with and like in terms of damage and yeah, just 
do a lot of play testing and, and tweak things. And we, we definitely miss things a lot, you know, and, and I think early access is like, I don't think there's any way that for this kind of game, we could get the amount of play testing we actually need for these things without, without early access. So yeah, that's been really good. We put in a thing that's like super overpowered or super underpowered and, within a couple of hours like everyone's played and said yeah this is terrible why you know why is this guy so weak I'm like oh it's, he seemed really tough like the way that i play him but okay yeah damn. right so uh one of the points that you brought up in there that's kind of interesting to me is uh the randomness but then uh, so there's been a lot of like roguelike games right and like rogue legacy or something like that where you're going through and there's random things and that's but that's like a single player game um your guys is is a multiplayer pvp game and the fun thing about multiplayer games and why i think they're they trend so high on twitch and why people continually play them is it every match is different every time right so it's like okay i'm going against another guy i don't know what the other guy's gonna do that's what makes it so much fun and the the interesting thing is that you're putting the random element which makes it even more insane uh have you guys gotten a lot of interesting player stories from people that are like, Oh my God, this thing happened. And then this thing happened. Oh my God, it was huge. <laughs> it's been a, f- a fun game to watch like let's plays of and things. Mm-hmm. Um, because when, yeah, when, when you sort of see someone walk into a room and there's something you're like, Oh, this is going to happen. It's going to be funny. And then it happens. And yeah, that kind of thing's always good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, we definitely, when we do like venture out of our rooms, uh, for, <laughs> for, like games expo things and actually talk to people who play the game in person. Yeah. I'm, I'm always surprised how much it's just like full of weird circumstance stories. Like I had this item and this item and I got this like crazy overpowered thing or like, you know, I was nearly dead, but then, you know, this item kicked in and this happened. And it's something uh, that we, we talked about a lot, especially early on. And then we're really excited about doing, and we kind of always just feel like, ah, oh, we haven't really achieved that with, you know, we've, feel like we always feel like we've barely scratched the surface of the content we could imagine doing but yeah um <laughs> I, guess, I think that's probably just how you always feel um but yeah no it's it's good seeing that kind of that it actually kind of is in there that unique player stories that you get a little bit you know you get a lot in like classic roguelikes um yeah, yeah having at least a little bit of that stuff in that was definitely too. that was definitely a goal of ours um but yeah i think we we did we did run up against the the competitive thing kind of kind of pushing back against that where the more you randomize it, the more you sort of diminish people's feeling of, um, you know, of it being like fair and balanced. Mm. Um, and so it, it's hard because we want it to be something that's balanced enough that people feel that they can develop skill in it and, and you know, sort of do higher level play by, by being more skilled. But we kind of want that that binding of Isaac excitement of like, Ooh, what, what random stuff's going to come this time? And, you know, is it going to be like fun or am I going to be really weak? Uh, and it's one of those things where, where we've got so many different types of players playing the game who want different things from it. And, and, you know, we're talking with them on forums and stuff and it can be really hard not to suddenly be be swayed whenever you're talking to one person, not to be swayed to, oh, yeah, maybe we should be making the game for this guy. Uh, <laughs> and then you talk to another person who wants it to be more competitive or more random or whatever and think, oh, yeah, maybe we should be making it for this guy. And so so it is, it is sort of a challenge to, like, not, not be sucked into that and just try and remember, like, <laughs> what our core 
what our core kind of drive is, you know, in terms of those things. Right. So uh, something I, I wanted to talk to you guys about as well, speaking of multiplayer stuff, is the camera. So when you guys started out on this game, was the initial thought like, we'll just make it the room and it will kind of move and then it'll go? Or was it kind of, we're going to focus on the main character? Or how did the camera setup go for you guys? There's always going to be uh, like a single screen multiplayer. That was the kind of core, core kind of idea, I guess. Um, and it sort of right from the start made sense to have a like each each room is a is a camera screen, I guess. It's a bit of a Zelda thing as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was always kind of there. And just having like a each room has like this is the the point that the camera, you know, this is the center of the room. The camera kind of zooms to that. Um, I think just because it's multiplayer, you you very quickly have the design like issue of well, if the camera's not fixed to the room, which player is it fixed to? Like, yeah. okay, so it's fixed to the hero. So what happens if the hero goes this way and the ghosts want to go that way? You know, what if he walks up to the side of the room and then it cuts the ghosts out of the screen? Um, well, the monsters, I guess. Yeah. 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 The the very uh, earliest sort of prototype we had. The, the doors didn't lock when you went into a room and monsters spawned, <laughs> and so the monsters could kind of run away, but obviously you couldn't see where you were as soon yeah. as you left the room. That was <laughs> actually really cool, though. And it was really funny, Yeah, but obviously kind of... It was just like everybody buggy. run out of the room <laughs> and hide, but you can't see where you're going, yeah. and so then the hero will like chase them down, and you don't really know when he's going to discover you because you don't know where you ended up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it did mean you could troll and pretty much break the game for everyone else pretty easily. Yeah. Though. <laughs> There's quite right. a few things we had to fix because of that, but yeah. that were kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, actually, that that was that 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 was one of the things that yeah, like in like we we solved a lot of things from that prototype, but we you know you do still lose like a lot of fun silly personality like locking players in in a combat room, uh, you know, in in that room until all the monsters are dead. That's kind of a necessity tied to. The cameras being fixed like that, uh, and and other stuff, um, and the initial prototype when you could just like roam around the dungeon and you could run into the next room and fight. Uh, there was a lot of cool things about that, but the the list of problems <laughs> to, to fix from that was was just endless compared to locking you in the room. No, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to bring up kind of similar to the earlier question about traps was system design on things like money and items. Um, mm. How did you guys get around balancing that stuff? Because I, I know that there's a, there's a fine line I think of walking between like, okay, how much time do we want the player to take to get the thing so that they can feel more powerful? And, you know, do we take that away? Do we, you know, take it, have it take this long? Like how did you get that start? And then how did you refine that over time? Um, so we kind of try to get at least we try to get a bit of auto balancing kind of stuff in. So the way you earn, the way you mostly earn the gold is by not not when you're the hero collecting gold from stuff, but when you're a monster and you can't actually spend the gold or anything when you're a monster. But as you beat up the the hero, the more damage you do, the more gold you get for the next time you're a hero. Um, and so, uh, and then there's a similar system, but like switch the other way around for the v, for the Vitae, which is what you use to upgrade your monsters. So. Um, so you're kind of the the gold balance has always been pretty fiddly, trying to because we've always had a problem where we want players, especially the heroes, to just be like 
playing this game like quite a short game ideally and having them like just like keep upgrading their stuff and getting more and more crazy stuff uh until the game kind of until the climax of the game but it, it's we've had a lot of problems just being able to get them to have the time and the money when they have you know when they go to a shop to actually be able to upgrade their stuff and do that lots of times mm-hmm. during the game i think i think that's a pretty good example of the kind of things that have been really tough challenges for us in that because of the way that the game looks, uh, there's a lot of kind of tropes and expectations of going to a shop and and spending money and and things like that. And that um, the battle between just designing like a raw mechanic like you would for a card game that is balanced and works, the battle between uh, that and, and, making a mechanic that applies to expected tropes so that people find it easy to understand that's been really difficult but because so initially we had instead of gold we had this concept of favor so the more damage you're doing to the hero the more favor you have with these dark deities or whatever um but then you go to the shop and you're like oh well people didn't just don't understand like oh favor is what you buy things with because that it's not what you buy things with. Yeah. You buy things with gold. But then gold <laughs> is, is something that the hero should be able to pick up off the ground because it, that's what you do in games. And so that, that was something which took us a lot of iteration, I guess, to get right. Yeah. But in term, I guess in terms of the, the the actual pricing balance and stuff, there's there's a lot of kind of programmatic kind of things which work out, okay, what's the value of this weapon? Can people afford it on this floor? Um, is it, yeah, <laughs> uh, like... And we, we've got a bunch of tweakable variable, uh, variables like multipliers and things for, uh, you know, how much things cost and things like that, that basically once we've sort of got a first pass of things in there, we've just got to play a bunch of times and go, were we getting things too fast? Were we getting things too slow? Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, think the, the, main, the main problem we've had isn't like that the hero can buy stuff and get really overpowered. It's more that people just can't afford enough stuff and don't get, you know, it's not, it's not cool enough. You don't see enough stuff in the game. Um, so that's been the, the biggest, the biggest problem is like, yeah. So like we recently added a, a thing where you, rather than when you buy a new weapon at costing the full amount, now you trade in your previous weapons. So you can kind of keep upgrading your weapons to get these like much more expensive weapons that for a, a player who's, um, who hasn't bought a weapon at all before would be really expensive, but yeah, it basically means that you get more iteration on the weapons you're upgrading through the game, and that made a big difference. Mm. So we've kind of been iteratively doing that kind of thing, um, and it's yeah, it's been improving over time. But initially, we had yeah, definitely had a problem where you just the heroes wouldn't really be buying much in the in the shops. Yeah, or they wouldn't get to see the shop often enough. Yeah, to, yeah. to you know, they'd have enough gold. But they just they, they would have only seen actually got to a shop like once near the start of the game, and then you know they're near the end and they just don't see you know don't get a chance to get to any more or shops they, to spend their gold. So they're not upgrading. Or they get to the shop and all the weapons in the shop would be like weaker than the one they had, yeah. or way too expensive. Right. For what they um, so uh, one of the things that you guys were talking about was initially this game had to be local co-op. Um, is is that going to stay that way, or is it eventually going to become something that you guys can you can play online with with other people as well? Um, no, nah, we 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 hoped we'd be able to do online um, as a kind of release feature, but and I spent a, a bunch of time looking at it, but it's probably not going to be possible. Yeah, um, unfortunately, but it would have been cool. Yeah, initially, I mean, it, it started out as a, a local multiplayer thing, and from our I guess experiences working on like working on lots of projects at a bigger company, 
uh, it definitely felt like starting out with our first project being an online multiplayer game would be way too big a scope of thing to attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so yeah, that's kind we, of why we thought, oh, yeah, we'll do we'll do this as a small we never game. expected but then, it to be as as well received as it has. Yeah, so I think exactly. if we had known that it was going to be this well received, yeah. then there's and a chance be, that we probably yeah. would have built it with online capabilities from the ground up. Yeah, totally. Right. But but having not built it like that from the ground up, it, it's it's a huge amount of work, and there's a lot of elements of the game that we'd actually have to sacrifice and do in a in in a less good way in order to kind of facilitate a lot of the online stuff that we just don't you know we're like i think yeah as a two-man studio it's just so big of a thing that we have to be absolutely in love with the idea of doing online to to decide we're going to spend like a year doing that right Um, and because what we actually loved about this game was what was the local play we've already got that you know, although, uh, yeah, it'd be awesome to do online and, you know, we'd get a much bigger audience and maybe more money or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's just too much of a too much of, de- mm. of a deviation, I think, at this time. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, and yeah. I think there's this big push as of late to have more games that are kind of couch co-op or, you know, couch, you know, um, yeah, yeah. antagonistic. Um, I, I think uh, like I don't know if you guys played Samurai Gun or or Towerfall Ascension or you know games like that. They're they're very Nidhogg. Yeah, Nidhogg is also. Oh, the, I, I, guess, yeah, I guess they have online too. Like, like, yeah. yeah, but I mean that is the point though. Is I think to get somebody next to you playing on a controller that you know you can make fun of when you kill them and stuff like that. So um, yeah. yeah, I mean that 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 was that that was my kind of formative gaming experiences were all local multiplayer. Uh, you know, Super Nintendo or, uh, yeah, like, I think, was it Super Nintendo that had the multi-tap? It was like... Um, yeah, that's when it had, like, like the four-player, like, Bomberman and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and that, you know, that, that was the best, that, that was the best stuff for me, and uh, I, I did I did play a bunch of stuff online. I played Diablo online and things like that, but I, I've just never been heavily into kind of competitive online games, and so I guess when I started, it, it, it's a bit like the this with the pixel art and the other things, the kind of whole thing is just like, uh, well, uh, we've been forced to do like these commercial things for a long time. Like, let's just do a thing. That's the kind of fun that we're into. And we were just really excited about local multiplayer at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, we also, we thought it was a pretty bad idea in terms of making a game, which would sell anything because that that was before, (laughs) that was before, um, like Towerfall or anything like that. Yeah. There was no, no, like, yeah, local we, multiplayer on Steam at that point. When we started, we were just like, <laughs> so oh, like, oh, we'll probably really just sell it on idea. their website for a few thousand dollars. But it'll be cool, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty amazed how many people are willing to like do the logistical stuff that's required to to get their PC on their couch, um, and you know, for a game that like to play it properly, you sort of need to buy like you know over a hundred dollars worth of controllers or you mm. know something like that where, where the game's only 10 bucks um yeah I, i've been amazed actually how many people are like these days to, lot, just yeah. yeah happy to be like dedicated like local multiplayer guys on pc and do the you know the, the extra kind of legwork that's required when you don't just have you know that console box in your living room already plugged into the tv the yeah so i think it is it is growing um and and it's it's really encouraging to me to 
be able to do a niche thing and to to be able to reach enough people within that niche that that that's a viable business mm-hmm. because as soon as as soon as that's not viable then just yeah you know i mean th- then we're just starting to head back towards where we were when we were working at ea where you know someone has an idea and oh it's a really cool idea and we know this is good but that would alienate blah percent of people who don't like that idea. So we definitely can't do that. So what's the grayest <laughs> middle ground that, that will alienate right. the least number of people and delight nobody, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's good to know that there's like you can connect to enough people that you can do that weird quirky thing that is a real niche and and not have to kind of, you know, not have to like pander to, to the broad market and just go, well, this is what I love and I can do a better job of it because I'm only doing that and not trying to uh, kind of water it down for, you know, for, for mm. everybody. Gotcha. But that said, I'd love to do online if, if it was easy. <laughs> See, yeah, look, there's always sequels and stuff like that in the future. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, uh yeah. Um, one of the questions that uh, you got, that I had on here was something that you guys had addressed earlier, which is early access. Um, you guys have been in early access for a while now, um, and I would say you've used it fairly successfully. Um, can you talk about what makes uh, a successful use of the early access um, vending platform versus, you know, I don't know, just selling it when it's done or, or maybe the bad way to do early access? Um, I mean, I think it's only really something that certain types of projects should do. If you've got a game which is linear in any way, I don't think it makes sense because you want people to play the game. The people are only going to play the game once. You want them to play the the f- finished version. Um, but you do see linear kind of games going on to early access sometimes still. Mm. It just baffles me a bit. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any like, you know, sandbox games and local multiplayer kind of sporty kind of things where you, the sort of games you you get together and play a bunch of times always work really well because it's always fun seeing what the new thing that's in there and the roguelike stuff is fun because you play roguelike like over and over and seeing new content's always fun um yeah so i think anything that you're already going to play it in that way um yeah i, I think the sport analogy is is probably like good for crawl it's like you know we we like came up with like basketball or whatever, but we're a bit shaky on the rules and then put it out. People get to play a whole lot of games, show us where, you know, where our rule set is weak and we can kind of patch it up and, and things like, I, I think it's, it's, it, it's definitely aided, you know, in kind of design in a lot of ways, just having people like, I, I, we couldn't test all this randomized <clears throat> stuff. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's so randomized. Like, yeah, when you're a small kind of when, yeah, when you can't really afford proper testing, <laughs> yeah, then it's pretty good. <laughs> like we can put we can put bots like you know in fast forward running through matches, uh, you know, for like two days straight, and you know we're still only gonna like get through like a couple of hundred matches or something, and that's still gonna be the random occurrence of this item and this room and this circumstance is still you know mm. like unlikely to occur. So. It, to just put it out there and just get like a, a much bigger number of people playing and, you know, very like if there's something that's seriously wrong, like we hear about it really quickly, yeah. you know, a whole lot of people will have it happen. And, and if it's something that's not, you know, not that wrong that, that it, it gets back to us, then, you know, at least it's, it's pretty rare and it's not going to hmm. like ruin most people's experience. I guess in, in terms of the, the feedback, like we, we pretty much just look at the steam forums and stuff like that. 
um, and we try and be active on that, but it's it can be pretty stressful when there's lots of people wanting you to do heaps of things with your game and you know you're not going to be able to do everything. Mm, um, right. It's pretty stressful looking on that and going, oh, there's so many people wanting so many things. Yeah. Well, um, it, I was actually going to ask general, you about well, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you about that too. Actually, this is like the next thing. Um, you mm. guys have a really positive vibe going for the game. As I was saying earlier, your Steam reviews are exceptional. Um, how did you guys help cultivate that community? And then how do you also talk with people and figure out what those things are? Is it Reddit? Is it the Steam forums only? Is it Twitter? Like, how do you do that stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I we use uh, Twitter. And and our own kind of blog website and the Steam forums. I think that's the main thing. We do have a Facebook, and occasionally we we talk to people on Reddit. And so someone has made a Reddit thing for us, but but I, I actually haven't haven't got around to you know learning the like ins and outs of those yet. So it's really been mostly mostly Twitter and the Steam forums. I think Twitter's mainly other developers as well. Yeah, Twitter. Oh, I mean, t- Twitter is, has helped us like like the the animated. Uh, Gabe Newell thing mm, that sure. would have spread from from Twitter, um, so the uh, the forum thing is like it's it's interesting. Like it's there's there's the whole kind of don't read the comments uh, thing, which <laughs> right never read is, comments. Yeah, which is kind of it's hard because it's like it's mentally it's so hard to do that and generally a really terrible idea. But at the same time, I, I think generally if it's one way comments, it's not there's no point. But stuff like on Steam forums where if it can be really negative a lot of the time, or even people who like the game and say, "Oh, I like the game, but mm. here's something kind of I think should be better, or I think is broken, and why, what are the developers doing?" That stuff's really hard not to see as negative, but it's right. kind of important as a sort of little indie developer. You you know you're you've got to be the um, the kind of the the person who's interfacing to the public as well. Like you don't have another person hired to do that. Um, so you've got to kind of take that role. And generally we've found, even if someone seems really angry on the Steam forum, if we just like go in there and say, oh, yeah, that, sorry, I feel like that. Um, sorry, you're really upset. Like we're, we're doing our best and like this is, this is what we've got in mind to try and remedy that, but I'm not sure if we'll be able to do it. Then usually they're, they're perfectly like friendly after that. They're like, oh, that's so oh, – thanks for replying. Like Usually no one replies, and I really love the game. The game's just amazing. You guys are awesome. And it's like, oh, now I feel better, even though at face value, that person was like this guy who hated us. Yeah, <laughs> right. Us now, you know, I ran into the same thing on, on Twitter when I was on Wildstar. There would be a lot of people that would, you know, post stuff to my thread and say, you know, the game is effed up in PvP because of these reasons. Yeah. You know, go kill yourselves. And then uh, I'd respond and be like, I'm not going to kill myself. Thank you for the, <laughs> you know, the heads up on that. Um, you know, we'll look into it. And they're like, you responded to me? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> that happens? Um, I, th- I, I think, think it's because a lot of people, they don't normally get responses. And so when yeah, you... Yeah, they think they're sh- shouting into the sky kind of thing. Right, which is the internet thing to do, right? Is like, yeah. I fucking hate these guys. They're the worst people in the world. I hope they die. And then, uh, you know, that's just the common thing. And then when you actually respond as a human being, they're like, oh... Maybe I should have retracted what I just said, right? Also, like I think, like I have to try and remember that that there's just because of just the way the internet is, there's not kind of much space for people to like feel like there's any point having like a mild opinion. It's like everyone's shouting so loud, you know, like just the rhetoric that 
that you use that becomes normal to use on the internet is just really extreme rhetoric. So it's just, you know, to say like, oh, I hope these guys die or whatever. That's just the equivalent of in real life saying like, oh, yeah, I'm a little upset about that. But, you know, that, that's how you get that across, you know, because right. in this like environment where everyone's so extreme like that, that's the only way an opinion will be heard at all if it's like, you know, these guys need to kill themselves. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've definitely found that like I'll have a gut reaction of like, oh, my God, you know, I feel really bad. This guy hates me so much and, and then realize that. Or try and try and remember to myself that um, anybody who like cares like that strongly, like pe- people who are like really upset with us because we don't have online, and are just coming and saying, you know, do you guys hate money? You're so stupid. We can't believe investors <laughs> would do this and like blah, blah blah. Like they're saying that because they really want to they play just the want game. Online. Yeah, yeah. You know, they want to play the game, and it and and they can't, you know. And so the people, like, if someone's driven enough to like complain about ha- how your thing works because they they really, you know, they, yeah. they really want you to fix it, they really want you to change it because they really care. So, yeah, that's like generally they're kind of usually fans. It's kind of weird, I guess. Yeah, the people who yeah. are really angry and hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but so I've, I've definitely just and, like, and on the opposite I'm, I'm side. Just, there's there's the the very positive side of that too, right? There's definitely people like again Steam reviews. You, there's a bunch of them that are, are people yeah, saying right. you know that they they love the game and they love how how things are going and you know I think you, you scroll get past those, those ones and find the negative ones. Yeah. Right, <laughs> I know that's the worst thing. You're like, oh look at all these people that love me. Mm, this uh, one guy. Uh, <laughs> no, you do get very like just immune to to any sort of positive thing, and then you just get to expect that. And if it's not there, then you feel bad, but you don't actually get encouraged by it. Right. Um, yeah, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think definitely I just have to learn to have like a very positive persona when I'm, you know, when I'm doing online stuff. Like I don't have anything to gain by arguing with someone and telling them that they're wrong. But uh, when people are telling me like bad stuff about the game, like, those are really useful points of information. And so I'm just like, yep, that's an important piece of information that that guy hated this. You know, if, if I get a lot of those pieces of information and people are confirming it, mm. then that, then that's really important information to have. If it's just this one guy, then okay. It's probably just his taste versus my taste. Yeah. Or so, his friend, his brother, big brother beat him or something. And he got upset. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it just, it just requires, I think like, not doing it if I'm feeling in at all like a bit of a crappy mood. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I can't I can't go and, like, you know, <laughs> be really personable in front of people who might be, like, really cranky with me right now. So I'll just not do internet stuff today. Um, but then sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's really encouraging. And, you know, people have stories like, you know, little kids contacting me and saying they play, you know, play with their dads all the time and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, the... yeah. The, the stories, because of the local multiplayer thing, the stories you get of just people saying, oh, we played this at our, at my, like, yeah, at a party on Friday. It was awesome. That kind of thing is really cool because you can kind of just picture, like, oh, sweet. We, like, some people were playing our game at a party and, like, enjoying it. It's not like they're just like, oh, yeah, I played your game. And you, so you don't picture, like, oh, okay, they were just sitting in the dark playing a game. <laughs> I think <laughs> it even feels like a positive thing. That's kind of cool. Even the stories that people have are... Um stories about the fun that they had with their friends and that that's one of the cool things about about multiplayer and mm. and and local multiplayer specifically is that like they're almost attributing like a lot of the fun that they're creating just in their dynamics to the game uh where 
you know, the game gives them an opportunity to grief each other and things like that, where kind of they're actually like making, making that it, fun yeah. themselves. And, and, you know, right. it's the dynamic between like, oh, well, this is the guy we like to tease. And this is the guy who's like going to get really offended if somebody steals his kill or whatever, <laughs> you know, that that's kind of, that that's not really us doing it, but it's just like, you know, the, the local multiplayer thing. Yeah. It gives people like, yeah, the, the stories that people tell us mm. about like circumstances and the fun that they had and things that they were doing. Uh, I think that is yeah really rewarding compared to probably a single player game and people just being like, Oh yeah, I had a fun time. I got yeah, up to yeah. level three or whatever. Well, yeah. And I mean, yeah, compared to say people just saying, Oh, I really like the game. It's really well balanced and that sort of things. That's always awesome. But it's not nearly as nice as just people saying like, oh, I played the game with my friends and yeah. like, well, with this my dad happened or, and we were laughing. Yeah, because that right. feels like, oh, wow, that's a like, really positive experience, happy experience kind of, but yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, I've had, <laughs> I, I always say this as just kind of anecdotally to people, but I feel like when you have a multiplayer game, it automatically adds 20 review points or 20 gamer score points or whatever <laughs> because you're playing with friends and instantly you're like, oh, I like my friend ergo i'm putting some of that onto the game like it doesn't matter yeah. what multi it could be the crappiest multiplayer ever and it's still it's going to be a better review f- from them than it would have been if it was a single player game i mean that's why we we sort of started out doing these local multiplayer game jams just because we we like the fun of playing multiplayer games together um and so we knew it was going to be a fun time, even if the games were junk. And it would be fun laughing at the games if they were if they were really bad, and still, you know, still trying to compete in some buggy, broken experience. Still, the social experience would have been really fun. And so that's why we, I guess, were so, you know, our game jams initially were so just local multiplayer focused because, yeah, you get you get all that extra fun for nothing, like outside of the game. Right. No, it makes sense. Um, so I've got two more questions for you, gentlemen, and then we'll we'll call it an episode. Um, question the first: What advice do you guys have for aspiring game devs? Um, <laughs> that's a lot, I guess. It's a general ass question. Yeah, I mean, so so I think in general, keeping a team small is good. Um, yeah. Like two people, like I, I don't feel like we really want to grow. Yeah. If we do grow, I think we'd want to be. You know, if we double in size, I think we'd want to be working on two games, not just one kind of thing. Um, just as a as a starting out game dev, uh, yeah, don't you really just, don't want to be all, just spending all your time organizing millions of people. <laughs> yeah, and just you know, six people don't create you know three times as much content as two people. You know, six people like the amount yeah, of slightly of, of miscommunicated. Mm-hmm time and organization time and downtime for this guy because he doesn't have work yet and all that stuff like you you just you're so much less efficient and so many people start games you know start by constructing a team of like five people or six people to do to do their first game and uh, yeah. and yeah. also i guess keeping scope small exactly if possible yeah. that right. like something we haven't really followed like really when we quit <laughs> we'll, okay we're going to try and do like three games in the first year and you know just to like get some under our belt and say we've done some stuff and just like really fast, like iPhone-y kind of things or I something. Mean, but, 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 <laughs> but saying that, like there are a lot of ways in which we have kept the scope extremely yeah. small, like within very specific boundaries. And like when I'm, there's Still a lot of people, yeah. there's a lot of people whose games that I'm, that I'm watching develop and they're suddenly deciding, Oh, now it has 
you know, now it has like a story system or now it's open world or now it has RPG things and, you know, things yeah. that just, just growing it exponentially. And I think we at least had enough experience that we had a lot of that stuff like locked off right from the start that we're definitely not going to grow into this way. We're definitely not going to grow in that way. Mm. The ways we are going to grow are just in, you know, within a confined space and within that space, we've still grown heaps more than, than we ever thought. But, you know, we, we haven't added a story mode and we haven't, yeah. you know, all, all of these things. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Give it time. Uh, the, other, the other thing, I guess, is like putting in your, putting a bit of yourself in the games, like in, yeah. in your game. If you're making a game with just you and another person or just by yourself, like the biggest advantage you've got is that you can make a game no one else will make. Yeah. So that's kind of definitely something to focus on and not just try and go, oh, okay, I'm going to try and make this game that someone else made except like my version of it <laughs> yeah. like that's right. if you're if your like whole elevator pitch is like it's this game but made by me then you know like yeah it's just a good yeah usually if 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 it's this game but made by me players would just go like well i'll just go play that game yeah that exactly game? um yeah. but but like even if you know even if like you're you don't feel like you've got a, a whole lot of sort of skills or something. You've still just got a whole lot of unique junk that other people wouldn't do. So, you know, like we, we've, I think we've got a, like a cup, a bunch of friends who are kind of fairly like crazy sort of creative guys who are like full of all these stupid ideas. Um, and like, that's, that's like a, that's a really valuable thing to harness. So don't, you know, don't be so worried about doing a good job that you'd like, do something that's, you know, that's not like uniquely, yeah. you know, yourself in some way. Even if it, even if it, like, kind of is a bit scrappy. Like, it, you're still much better off just not being generic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And then lastly, uh, this one's maybe more for people that are already doing indie dev stuff. What What advice do you have for indies that are kind of in the thick of it? What have you guys learned doing the indie thing? Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Make animated <laughs> gifs. Make lots of animated <laughs> gifs. Um, now, and... well, actually, let's let's talk about that really quick because <laughs> uh, you know, like I was saying before, I found out about you guys from the Gabe Newell thing that was on Twitter that was kind of mm. being blasted out. Uh, what social media wise? and like advertising because it's just you two what yep. are you guys doing to kind of go like oh crawl it's a freaking amazing game look at it like wh what are you doing to do that sort of thing i mean so all of our we've had like i guess like three successful kind of marketing things um when we released our like green light trailer uh when we had a like delay and i made a funny gif and then when we had the the gabe newell gif and all three of those were just like, we made some cool visual content, you know, that was like kind of funny or interesting to watch and and put it out on Twitter and it got spread around. We didn't expect, those ones we didn't expect yeah. to be a media thing. Yeah. And, and then and we followed them up with things we did expect to be like, oh yeah, we'll make another video similar that's, that we will expect to be <laughs> like shared a lot and it did when it wasn't. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, just the main thing is just try and make like 
entertaining, shareable little bits of like <clears throat> visual stuff. I think GIFs are a really good format because they're really easy to share. Uh, and definitely the being, videos are good too. And being honest, like and yeah. being like putting your your story in in those things as much as possible. Yeah. So we had this one that that we got a lot of kind of coverage for where we we had to delay our launch date because um uh we had to fill out some IRS forms and and we thought the things were going to clear like a month earlier but it turned out they didn't um and so we had to retract our uh, announcement date and so I just made this stupid animated gif of like this tax man kind of killing killing us in this big like red tape beam and just like a thing saying you know we're really sorry we're we screwed idiots. up yeah. where we we've got to change the release date uh, and that that animation got so much more publicity than our release date uh, in the in the first place. And the reason it got the publicity was not because it was like an amazing piece of content, but uh, but because of just were like like it's a fun anecdote. Like oh, these guys screwed up, and they made <laughs> a, you know like look, they got killed by the IRS man, and you know so like the you can but but in reality like knit needing to wait for an IRS form to be filled out or to clear is the most boring anecdote in the world. So but just, it's, but it's still more interesting than just a press release saying we've like new sorry. game released on early access because yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time. So like yeah. as much as possible, I think you want to like, you've got, you know, you've got the game that you're making, but then you've got this other product of your, the dramas of your ups and downs as a developer trying to make the game. And if you can, find ways to sell that to sell like the story of your little dramas and your little mistakes like the mistakes people want to see your mistakes and mm. you being like you know like that's that's what separates you from a triple a developer is that like you can see the person behind it and you can see that he's fallible and that's fun people aren't gonna you know think less of you you know your game because of that so i think finding ways to sell <clears throat> you your story and your little dramas in developing the game is and avoid like avoiding trying to like get people to picture you as this big professional company which is another thing i think a lot of people start out doing is like yeah yeah oh you know i've got to look like i'm a really serious professional (laughs) (laughs) right because people don't relate to that not for sure mistakes you make though yeah well gentlemen i think that's going to be it for our uh interview today is there anything well clearly it's going to be you're going to say like oh check out the crawl what what is the thing that people need to go check out that you want to pimp out right now uh regular human basketball <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a free game we put out on that website check it oh. out powerwolf.com yeah but that was that was a while ago as well but yeah crawl go, go play crawl and yeah. buy it with money yeah but, yeah so crawl money. on steam um but yeah go to our website or itch.io there's a game called regular human basketball uh i guess powerhoof.com or yeah uh, but yeah it's free it's a local multiplayer game for like two to ten people and you get to climb around inside a giant mech and and try and make it play basketball <laughs> awesome i'm already that came out of the same kind of game jam thing as well yeah yeah that's <laughs> just another little game jam thing that we kind of polished up and turned into a game kind of like crawl but just a bit smaller and a lot smaller yeah <laughs> smaller. and more mechs yeah um, well, cool. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and if you guys would like to hear more episodes of Game Devastation, all you have to do is go to oh god, uh, iTunes and then look up Game Devastation or um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Just Google it. You'll find it. It'll be there. Uh, thank you for checking out the show. And thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Adios, guys. See ya. Thanks.